0: Welcome to Skin Out, a podcast celebrating all the people them that want to skin out, enjoy, and show out. These are the stories of people of color taking up space in the kink and fetish scene. I'm your host Tony, and I hope you're ready because we're about to go on a sexual journey. In each episode, we'll meet a brand new guest, delve into their sexual past, and tread alongside them as they divulge their exploits in desire. I'm joined by the lovely Regan, she/her a black femme lesbian creative. She is a kink, fetishwear, and lingerie stylist and photographic artist and is the glorious woman behind Kink and Curtain, a project that celebrates queer sexual expression through erotic portraits, thrifted costume and constructed fantasies. Inspired by female artists, sex workers, drag queens and designers of lingerie, kink and fetishwear kink and curtain is an exploration of erotic identities and an archive of regan's journey towards finding her true self so me and regan actually met on instagram a typical beginning to a modern love story i know (laughs) and i thought that you were so cool so creative so amazing basically fangirling over how open and honest she was and of course how kinky and sexy she was but i imagine it hasn't always been like that has it how did this all begin for you
1: Where to begin? Um, I guess I could start at the very beginning, which would be the bit before I knew I had a sexual identity at all. Tell me more. So, Kink and Curtain is is so close to my heart as a project because it was actually born out of a moment of uncontrolled expression. Uh, The project happened, uh, came to light during lockdown... Um, While I had actually been misprescribed a bunch of the wrong medication, which threw me into a kind of mad state of hypersexuality and mania, essentially. And during that period, even though there was a lot of confusion and difficulty around that time, it kind of cracked open this entire sexual identity and sense of sexual expression and desire to actually be sexy and feel like I had permission to be sexy that had lain dormant for 30 years so I was 30 the first time I ever really put on any lingerie the first time I ever really looked at myself in the mirror and thought I looked sexy the first time I started really trying to identify what erotic expression meant for me and uh yeah, once I got going, even as I came out of that not-so-healthy state, the desire to keep exploring that, keep testing that and experimenting with that led me down the road to starting to create art with it.
0: Why did it take you so long to feel sexy and to put on that first piece of lingerie?
1: So many reasons. I mean, most of it, I would say, was to do with comphet, compulsory heteronormativity. A lot of it was to do with not truly embracing... My race, you know, I'm mixed race and I've always had a complicated relationship with being black and trying to approximate myself with whiteness for most of my life in order to survive. And that obviously created a huge disconnect with my sense of self and my body. And a massive amount of it was just societal pressure on. The notion of being sexy somehow being wrong. As a woman, you were supposed to be sexually attractive, but actually embodying your own sexuality, using your sexiness for yourself, whatever that looks like, was somehow completely taboo. And again, in a desperate attempt to kind of mask, assimilate, shut all of those parts of myself down to survive, I shut down some of the most powerful parts of my personality and experience of the world.
0: I'm glad you were able to reach that point, even though it took 30 years to reach that. I know that there are still a lot of women and a lot of people out there in general who they're still hiding parts of themselves or suppressing parts of themselves because they don't feel like that is acceptable in society, even though society is the one that is wrong Mm -hmm. for deeming them to be unacceptable.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, a huge turning point for me. And again, it it happened in a strange order. I'd love to say I had some beautiful intellectual epiphany that led me down. But it was, you know, it was a difficult and connected uh, troubled time, you know, connecting to my mental health and my physical health that that cracked, as I said, cr- really cracked that open. But then as I got started and I started to read more specifically Audrey Lord's The Uses of the Erotic as Power, you know, I read that essay and was just absolutely blown away. You know, here was someone, who you know, here was a piece of writing that's been there for decades, laying it out. As a black lesbian, like, use your sexuality. Your sexuality is your power. It is not just there for other people to take advantage of and to sell you things. And for you. Like, it completely twisted my brain. I was like, wait, I'm allowed, to, I'm allowed to be sexy for me. And there's power in that. And the way that I experience sexuality and sexiness affects things that aren't even anything to do with sex. You know, the whole notion of pleasure changes across all parts of your life when you are able to properly engage with what pleasure and sexiness and sexual expression means to you. So, yeah, I urge and hope that all people get a chance to do that in their own way at some point, no matter how late in the day that might come about.
0: Did you always know you were a lesbian? Because you said uh, the reason why you were so late to embody your sexuality and your sexiness Mm. was because of compulsory heterosexuality. So did you... Did you at one point believe that you were heterosexual? Do you Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, no. I didn't realise I was queer till I was seventeen. I had a boyfriend, uh, high school, I was head girl. We were like, you know, <laughs> that couple at school, he was he was head of the basketball team. Oh, I was winning all the awards couple and was goals. Absolutely. Uh, and I was so unhappy. Um, and I didn't know why. And that that kinda happened even after that point, even even after because I think There are different layers and stages of kind of unravelling your own kind of true identity, which I find really interesting. And lots and lots of women I know grapple with queerness a lot later than I did, even though 17, I don't know, I don't know what the average is. But I felt like that was quite late for me because I really didn't have an inkling until that point. But as soon as I realised that was what was up, that was was a, a massive turning point. I really thought up until that point that everyone had just been lying about sex I was like this is not that great like, <laughs> I didn't I really I, I'm serious I was just like this is nice and all and I like him and he's it's wonderful we had a great relationship I had a good time but I was not there in that space that I'd read about that I'd seen in the movies that I was like I'm just not feeling it and I didn't know why and yeah my first ever experience with a woman was like oh right okay I that's that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense But then even so, you know, that was a wonderful moment of of change, but there were so many other layers to work through, so many other masks and kind of I said, you know, assimilated identities that I had to unravel and break out of that came after that point. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, I don't think seventeen is that late. I think I think a lot of us I think you might have known when you were younger, but you didn't have the vocabulary for it. Mm -hmm. Because um I think I had a similar sort of, actually, no, it wasn't that similar to you, but I was around 13, 14. I went to an all-girls school, mm. and um, there was always this idea that girls who go to all-girls schools, a lot of them are gay. I was vehemently against that. I, like, I was like, no, I'm not like that. I'm, I'm No, that's not me. And then, come 14 years old, someone new joins my class, and then I really like her. And I, just, I thought, okay, it's just like a friendship sort of thing. And then I invited her over to babysit. And um, when my sibling was asleep, I remember us play wrestling. I was like, I really want to kiss her. Yeah, I really, really want
1: to kiss <laughs> her. I was like, the play
0: The play wrestle should have been the first inkling that something was amiss. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nah, everyone does this. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like those sleepover tropes. We have like pillow fights. But um <laughs> yeah i really wanted to kiss her and i didn't understand why mm. i was like oh maybe and, I, and for a long time as well i thought it was just exclusive to that girl mm. but then it happened again and again i was like hmm i don't think i'm completely straight
1: <laughs> no and there's a lot of women myself included have it's taken a little while longer to 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 reach that understanding for the reason, for me, for example, it took me a really long time to identify the difference between I want to be like you, I'm in admiration of you, and I want to, you know, present in the way you present or dress the way you dress. Like, I just think you're really, for ages, I was like, I just think she's really cool. I just want to be like her. It's not, It's not that, like, it's not that I want her. And then I realized that there were some women that I felt like that about. And then there were a lot of women that I just really fancied, but I couldn't differentiate for the longest time
0: when did you start seriously dating women
1: immediately after realizing I don't uh <laughs> once I figure something out I'll, I'll run with it quite uh quite swiftly so yeah it was it was not a nice experience I was still at secondary school I had a hyper fundamentalist form tutor as a teacher who when things hit the fan because they did I got bullied very, very badly when I came out. I was very naive about it. I think I was very wrapped up in the idea that I was so happy to have figured this thing out. I was so excited to have finally figured out why things didn't feel quite right that then when I went to my friendship group and I told my then boyfriend, uh, he tried to sign me up for conversion therapy, uh, which, you know, it's mad now because it's 2023 now. So when would this have been? This would have been 2006, 2007 and like, it doesn't feel like that long ago, but so much has happened in that time span that when I came out, there was still not really any queer characters on TV. There was no social media for like, you know, it was just a completely different time. And I think it was just before people were really getting to grips with that as an OK thing. And of course, you know, we're very privileged here in London in terms of our being able to express our queerness. But yeah. In little little Lemington Spa, in the middle of the country, where I was already the only brown person in my school, I just had to be gay on top of that, and it tipped everyone over the edge. They were like, "Do you know what? <laughs> that's, that's one too many things for us to wrap our Take head it around. Too far now, Regan. You're taking it too are you far. Now? <laughs> this is enough." Uh, and they couldn't hack it, and they did. There was a there was a kind of en mass turning against me that included my teachers, who on a number of occasions were like. If you want the bullying to stop, you should probably just stop being gay. Um, I remember one of my teachers telling me at one point. But what was amazing was the the girlfriend that I had at the time. Yeah, we just, I kind of ran away with her a lot. I skipped a lot of school. I nearly failed my A-levels. It was not good. But she was this incredible haven of acceptance and experimentation and sexual expression and freedom and she was a poet and it was it was just so fucking brilliant that actually all the shit that was going down at school as horrible as it was there was a part of me that was like I know this is a part of my life that I'm gonna one day have way in the rearview mirror and this woman and the way that I feel around her that's what represents my future and I can lean into that and I was also very lucky you know my parents are incredible people my mum's bi so when I did come out to them, there was a very loving home to hold me in that realization, even if school was a hellhole.
0: Uh, it's really nice to hear that, because I know a lot of people, nothing's a safe haven for them. Exactly. Um, so you had the that wonderful first relationship, mm-hmm. and then you had your parents as well,
1: mm-hmm. which was great. Yeah, and my mum, uh, like I said before, um, my mum is white uh, from from Essex and very very open-minded dated women herself in the past and so it was amazing to have those conversations with her my dad Jamaican took him a little bit longer <laughs> there's a lot of ingrained stuff there like but I remember I remember coming out to my dad and him being nervous and him not saying a lot for a while and just kind of like I remember he was cutting an onion and I was like oh my god what was he gonna say and he literally just cut an onion I think I swear he was doing it for dramatic effect and he eventually just turned around and went, the most important thing is that you're happy. Whatever happens, I'll love you. And I remember, it, like, it's moments like that. Even in that moment, I knew how much privilege I had in that moment. Yeah, so I'll always be grateful to them for that. I certainly never never questioned my queerness or had to feel like I had to put it away after that year, which was a blessing.
0: That warms my heart. It really warms my heart. Especially <laughs> coming from a Jamaican dad as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then what was, um, how are things after that?
1: So yeah, then it was uni. Mm. Then it was uni and it was London. And I was like, where can I go that's not this incredibly white, incredibly straight, incredibly, uh, you know, British <laughs> place? Where can I go where, there's, where everything's happening and everything can be, can be expressed freely? And I absolutely zoned in on London. It was the main reason I chose to come here. And so I came here in twenty. Oh, God. Oh, God. When will it have been? 2008. Um, and I've never left. Uh, I spent a year in Paris. But apart from that, you know, London, the minute I got here and I felt that energy and I suddenly looked around and saw faces that were like mine and went out to all the terrible freshers, club nights at G.A.Y. in heaven and just had the time of my life just being like, oh, my God, I'm one of many. <laughs> um, yeah, and ended up in a series of really... You know, beautiful up and down relationships with many, many different kinds of wonderful partners, and uh, it's been a it's been a wild journey. But yeah, my longest relationship was ten years with one person. So part of what I meant about that unraveling was there was a nice little moment of experimentation as I got out of high school and into into uni, and then I ended up in a, a ten year long relationship with. I mean. I love this woman more than I can possibly express. But after a little bit of time, our relationship moved away from something sexual and became something much more platonic and love-fueled. And so then again, my sexuality and sexual expression went back in its little box for a very, very long time.
0: How how long are we
1: talking? For the whole 10 years? Or I would say maybe seven of those 10. Seven. Yeah, so for a good... And, and a lot of that was also tied into the fact that I had a really... Once I graduated uni, I got a really hardcore job in the city where I was in another, you know, I was in a microcosmic, microaggressive environment within this beautiful city. I'd found, i tripped and fallen back into a place that made me feel like I needed to mask again. You know, it was again another very, very white environment. And there was a lot of fear involved in my feeling like I needed to fit in and not be out of the ordinary in any way. And so yeah, I, I, over those seven years, everything in my life got got smaller again. Yeah, it wasn't great. It's funny how that can happen. You can realize things about yourself, and you can realize what you want out of life, and something for some reason can come in and 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 put you back in a box. And that's definitely what happened for me.
0: I'm so glad you managed to climb your way out of that box. Oh
1: yeah, no, I didn't climb. There was a there was a a bomb went off um, in my brain. Yeah, I, I often wish that I'd, you know, after seven years of working in the city, I realised enough. I'm, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to have my... Cre-. I had a nervous breakdown. I had a massive nervous breakdown. My body basically just said, no, I'm not doing this anymore. I was so depressed and so anxious and so unwell. And my connection to body was, had become so distant. I'm unrecognisable today to the way that I looked in my last year of that job. And yeah, I just had a complete and utter physical and mental collapse. And I'm grateful for it every day because out of that collapse came the first proper opportunity I had to meet myself, like in full. But yeah, it was not, it was not a choice. It was the body going, you cannot keep this facade up anymore. I'm going to make it so you have to change everything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then with that change, you discovered your love. Of latex, and, <laughs> yeah. kink and lingerie, yeah, and eroticism, yeah, all the
1: good stuff. Yeah, it's a bit like I'm trying to think of the right metaphor for it. I don't. Uh, it's like being wrapped and wrapped and wrapped in layers and layers and layers of glass. But who you are is right in the middle. And then something as cataclysmic as a nervous breakdown just drops the drops the glass on the floor. And then finally, even though everything around you is smashed you can see the bits on the inside that have been hiding there the whole time so i'd always loved burlesque i'd always been obsessed with the 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 aesthetic of kind of lingerie and sexual expression and again i thought a lot of that was you know is that just because i'm gay and i like looking at women like that's part of it um, but it was also the clothes the styling the way, you know the use of material objects to express sexuality has always been something I've found fascinating. And when I lived in Paris for a year, I did burlesque classes and, and tried to kind of dip my foot back into that world and then got thrown back into into this corporate environment after that. But yeah, once everything had exploded, imploded, both at the same time, suddenly that kind of shadow work started. And my shadow work was like a desperate desire to lean into the tangible material expressions of sex. So not even so much sex itself, but what sex looks like when worn.
0: <laughs> Tell us more, please. Tell us more. <laughs> They're very, very
1: interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I started very, very traditionally. you know, for me, and again, this is I'm coming from a very AFAB, assigned female at birth, femme perspective, because that's what I knew. That was my body. And so obviously, other people's experiences and expressions of their sexuality can blend and, and come from different roots and different places. I've never had an experience of kind of gender confusion in myself. That's the one thing, again, I know is a privilege. I was assigned female at birth and have always felt very firm in my identity as a woman. And that is both. A brilliant thing when it comes to the things that I love to explore because obviously the world is set up to provide a lot of things for the female body that etc et but you know patriarchy also plays a huge role in that but we'll come to that in a minute <laughs> but I started with the femme form basics three-piece lingerie a bra pants suspender belt then I started getting into stockings and hosiery gloves heels started really exploring shoes and boots and then like the more lace and kind of traditional like pretty lingerie that I would try on I kept like being like this isn't enough and it just slowly started building I discovered fishnets I was like oh this is getting somewhere I remember the first time I ever put a pair of fishnets on I was like this is amazing (laughs) they're so incredible I'd never tried them on before this at this point I'm 30 I've never tried a pair of fishnets on in my life I was like, these are incredible. It was that idea of being covered but still seen, the transparency, the kind of like non-opacity of a lot of this clothing. Basically, you're see, you're covered, but you're not covered. It started in kind of investigating mesh and body suits. You know, things that are designed to hold the body while still letting as much of the body be shown as possible. And then just playing with materials, playing with forms. I went from lace very quickly into leather, buckles, leather gloves was one of my first kind of kinkier purchases. My first ever leather harness, where I st- I, st- I was able to see myself like wrapped in full leather buckles. Uh, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Latex comes a little bit further down the line. But once that once that kicked in, I couldn't really think about anything else <laughs> <laughs> it's insane i love it so much um but also a lot of those early explorations when i was you know giving myself permission to lean into this and again i haven't said the word yet but i am incredibly neurodivergent and so the adhd hyper focus on all of this was real it is that has been something i have just been it's my hyper fixation i've been obsessed with it now for many years so i started looking at the history of it of kink and fetish wear and BDSM aesthetics, you know, the Stanton illustrations. I went to the Bishopsgate Fetish Archive, looked at all the drawings of those original, like, hypersexual dominatrix illustrations and what they're wearing. I mean, I have items of clothing at home that can't even be worn because they're so anatomically... They're like drawings. You can, like, put it on. You can't stand up in some of the shoes I've got because they are representations of that impossible kind of form. I can, I can hear myself getting, like, really excited.
0: <laughs> I love it. I, I love it because I, could, <laughs> I can hear the excitement. I can hear the yeah. passion. And it gets me excited about it as well. I, I was very it. fortunate um, last Halloween to get styled by you. So yeah. I was able to share in that joy and that mm. passion. So please, continue. Continue. <laughs> oh, by all means, run away with the story. <laughs> no, I just, I
1: find... I find it so incredible and I find that you know a lot of people I think don't have nowhere have no idea where to start with this, right? I have I have one of the most comprehensive collections of lingerie, kink and fetish wear of anyone I know. And that's not because I'm loaded, it's because I was completely obsessed and bought most of it with credit cards that I'm still desperately trying to pay off. So nobody sit there thinking I'm rich cuz I'm not. I just got completely obsessed with wanting to find the look that made me feel like the sexual version of me. And it took a lot of getting that wrong and trying different things out to get there. And so what I love, for example, about having you come into that space and being able to see this plethora of stuff, you know, it gives you or anyone else that I might be able to give that opportunity to a chance not to have to spend so much money trying to figure that out but being able to just try things on and, and figure out what that identity looks like and I've seen a few people now come into my space and try on their chosen selection of all of like the latex pieces the gloves the corsets the heels the fish like, and put something together and they look in the mirror and they're like holy shit that's it that's that's how I've always wanted to see myself and it's been in my head but I've not been able to articulate it because it requires these objects that are sometimes so expensive.
0: Very expensive. Latex yeah. can take you back quite a bit if you want like, a custom made yeah. outfit or in a specific colour because like me, I don't like—I don't typically like to wear black or red latex that's mm-hmm. what you'd normally find in most stores. Yeah. So having to pay extra to get something colourful that's mm-hmm. something to bear in mind.
1: Yeah, and the way I did it, and again, I use the word thrifted in the description of what I do. I don't think other than maybe four or five things, most of my collection is secondhand. Latex, I buy, I delicately, like carefully wash and repurpose. I've cut pieces up to create new items for myself. Most of those like very high quality brands, you can find them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know you have to be patient you have to know what you're looking for but you know I've got pieces of latex that would retail at 350 quid and I found them for 70 because I've, I know what I'm looking for and again bringing back in notions of of class a little bit there is a bit of a ceiling for I think a lot of people when it comes to being able to sexually express themselves through clothing that is basically just money. Like, do you have the money to dress yourself head to toe in latex and go to torture garden? That is a privileged level. You're talking hundreds of pounds for most people to be able to do that. And I didn't have hundreds of pounds. I needed to figure out how to give myself those experiences for less. And so I searched for these items over time until I could piece of collection together that allowed me to get closer and closer and then sell things back to invest in new pieces until I got that look together. But yeah, latex is such a labour of love and it is by far my favourite material to wear for sexual expression. For lots of reasons, which I can get into. Go on, go on. <laughs> you can't just tease us like that. <laughs> I always feel bad because I'm always like, latex is the best thing ever. And then I'm like, it's also the most expensive. But there are <laughs> ways, that's what I'm trying to say. There are ways. There are ways to find it for less. And there are also so many incredible people making latex on the scene. But yeah, I got latex down. So latex was definitely further in my exploration journey as a material The first piece of latex I had was a latex bodysuit. It was actually a Datex bodysuit.
0: What's what's Datex? So
1: Datex is like an easy on latex. So it's kind of like normal material, like I think probably like nylon or something on the inside. But the outside is covered in a layer of actual latex. So it's very easy to put on and off and it is actual shinable latex on one side, but it's more like clothes on the inside. I bought that because it was the cheapest thing I could find that was as close to latex as possible. Latex and PVC are not the same thing. They are not. Everybody thinks they are. They're not. But this is that that's the beautiful middle ground. And there are lots of online kind of stores that sell that. And it was a really good starting point because you can get a piece of latex for about 30 quid, 30 to 50 quid. Nice. Um, And so I had this bodysuit and I remember the first time I ever like put latex shiner on it and the texture and just the way that it reflects the light and kind of accentuates the curves and bounces. I remember just losing it. I I just remember thinking like I have never in my whole life put something on my body that makes me feel as sexy as this does. It was just mind blowing. I do think part of that is to do... With the sensory experience of it. It is so slippy. <laughs> I can't think of a better word for it but it's so it's so soft and yet it's really tight so you feel held by it but it's also not so tight that it's constricting and it's not cold once it's on the skin because it heats to the same temperature as your skin and even just the ritual of putting it on and shining it and the fact that it transforms under your hands into something just that feels otherworldly it's it's just beautiful and so yeah as soon as I felt that texture I was like right now I've got to get some real pieces and the first few like pure latex pieces I wore I just sat there for for a good couple of hours I didn't even take any photos really I don't think the first time I was just like this is an incredible material I would like to be covered in it all the time and I uh, I always, I, I struggle a little bit to kind of understand where the line of kind of sexuality for me is in these things. Because when it comes to the, the kink and fetish wear experience for me, a lot of it tends to be more, more therapeutic than horny, if that makes sense. So actually putting these clothes on and seeing myself and feeling sexy and being able to look in the mirror and see something that represents what I think is the sexual side of me it's not a fetish I don't like I have a latex fetish as in like if I see latex I'm going to get turned on I do love the smell to be honest though a little bit (laughs) so maybe a little tiny bit but it's more about how it makes you feel like what is the emotional and psychological impact from a confidence and self-expression perspective and what does that then bring in terms of sexual energy rather than the things themselves being sexual objects
0: that is really interesting and a very different take than I've ever heard because mm. most of the time when I talk to people about liking latex, it's usually for a sexual reason. Mm. They like how it feels against their skin. Mm. And they're not really seeing it in the sort of complicated way you're seeing it as tying mm. to your identity and being able to understand your sexuality from it.
1: That's always been an interesting part of the whole journey for me, actually, because for the for quite a lot of the early part of my exploration on the project and for a lot of the, the scenes and the outfits that I put together, there was no sex attached to it. I wasn't dressing up like that and then having sex. I was dressing up like that. And I think in a kind of non-tangible, auto-erotic way, just like developing a really huge crush on the person that I could see in the mirror, who was me but not me, who was a version of me that I was so excited by that I didn't know existed, and you know dollification also plays a, a big role in that for me as well, and that's definitely I'd say it's definitely a kink of mine
0: yeah you just reminded me of that I, I was literally just saying dollification, dollification. Yeah, yeah. remind her about that. <laughs> Yeah. because <laughs> you talking about how it made you feel and how looking into the mirror it felt like you're someone else oh yeah 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 and then I remember you talking about dollification mm-hmm. on Instagram and I found that was really interesting for me. Yeah. And could could you explain what that is for of the listeners? Of course,
1: yeah. So for me personally, and it may mean different things to other people, dollification is akin to the idea of just really enjoying the idea of being an object. So it's a bit close to formophilia, or for, I think it's formophilia, where people like to be furniture, or bimbofication, where you want to go so far down the extreme of you know, airheadedness that you don't have to worry about thinking. Dollification is, for me, somewhere kind of in between those two. So it's like, I'm a beautiful Barbie that doesn't have to think, I just have to look hot. There is something magic about how horny not worrying about the world makes you. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, if you suddenly, if you create a space where you, you know no thoughts just boobs no no <laughs> politics just pretty latex no bills or tax or cost of living crisis just shiny skater skirt and big heels it is it is amazing there is something deeply empowering giving yourself that experience society trying to push that on you bullshit if you want to take that perverse thing that society tries to push on you for its benefit and use it for your own to give you a moment of freedom from the woes of the world where you get to just empty your head and focus on your cleavage and how it looks wrapped in rubber is hot for me (laughs) i find it incredibly liberating to turn myself into a hot barbie whose only concern is being the hottest barbie she can be
0: that honestly sounds like a wonderful life yeah it's a very wonderful life
1: it's sweet (laughs) Yeah. Be a
0: real-life Barbie.
1: Yeah, and I think, again, you know, my... Oh, wait, wait, just sorry to interrupt yeah, you, yeah. but
0: how does that tie in, like, sexually?
1: So, and this is what I was going to get to, the, the weird thing, I say the weird thing, my personal take on dollification is, I think, kind of unique because I am my own animator. So oh. in, in a lot of cases of fetishized dollification, or dollification is a kink, it's not a fetish, sorry, so I think a fetish would be if you were actually playing with an actual doll that wasn't human. So the, the kink of dollification mm-hmm. is often a two-person thing where somebody is the doll and somebody is the, I think they normally call it the maker, and you would play together. The maker would dress the doll and the doll would be the doll and there would be some kind of sexual interactive element. I am my doll and my maker.
0: How does that work?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I um. how do I put this? At this point in my journey, I'm still two people. So there is the character that exists mostly online through Kink and Curtain, the project, and then there is me, who has a different name, a different life, a different identity entirely. The magic of that, and again, I I don't have a, a tangible kind of split of personalities that presents in any way that would be troubling to me. It is a tool that I play with, both to separate myself from my shadow, to better explore that part of my psyche, but it also means that i can do things like dollify myself and play with myself in a space like that as both master and the person being controlled so it's it's a really it's a strange setup and i think it's to do, it kind of touches on what's it called yeah autoerotic kind of fixations and you're frowning at me. <laughs> no,
0: no, I'm, I'm frowning because I don't know what that word means. What's auto... auto is it auto? Yeah, auto? yeah
1: it's auto... I can't remember the exact word now, but it's like there is a word. It's basically where you kind of want to fuck yourself. Um,
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah. I like uh, it. Yeah. And a lot of people have it. A lot of people have um, autoerotic fixations or it's... Oh, damn it. I can't remember the exact word, but yeah. For That's example... Like proper self-love, right? Yeah. Now. Wanting to masturbate in the mirror, for example. Okay. Um, you know? that's that's a form of autoerotic, you know, pleasure. If you, and and again, part of that, I think being gay is to do with the fact that I obviously fancy the bodies that I have. So especially if I'm dressed up and I look like a completely different version of myself and I'm shooting these scenes in the mirror and I get to see what is me and isn't me at the same time, there's this wonderful moment of kind of, slightly splitting but also a knowledge of self-love and it can become a very erotic process yeah so that's that's my experience with it I get to I get to be both
0: that is so cool I've learned something new today (laughs) yeah that's that's amazing
1: wow autosexual that's it
0: autosexual autosexual yeah so if you're
1: autosexual I think that's right it means that you in addition to being lots of other you know attracted to other people you can also be attracted to yourself and part of my self-love journey has been about realizing that i've come so far in my journey that i yeah i do i want to fuck myself yeah i really fancy myself a lot of the time she cute
0: <laughs> i love it i love it i feel like everyone should reach that point where they look in the mirror and be like yeah i'd fuck that I yeah. fuck myself yeah <laughs> right anyone would be lucky to do that <laughs> That is great. You know, I think um, I think we're going to leave it on that wonderfully delicious note of telling people to reach the point that they want to fuck themselves. (laughs) That that is the ultimate form of self love, most radical form of self love you can do. It's a journey. It's a journey. By saying, "Yeah, I'm hugely fuckable. Mm. Who Mm. wouldn't want to fuck me?" Exactly. (laughs) Thank you, Regan, so much for joining me, joining us, and sharing your story and allowing us to be a part of it and thank you lovely listeners for tuning in let us know your thoughts and carry on the conversation with the hashtag skin Pod. don't forget to do what you do with all the other podcasts give us a follow give us a rating share on social media and say very very nice things very very dirty nice things as well <laughs> if you want to and uh, we'll see you next time